conventionists. Thanks for tuning in to Time Warp Radio, the Rocky Horror Picture Show movie by minute podcast, where with each seven minutes, bah, 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 we, we can make you a fair. I'm Haley Mervini. And I'm Katie Tomini. And we are your resident criminologists on all things Rocky Horror. This episode's timestamps are hour one, minute three, second 34, to hour one, minute nine, second 48. Uh, We'll be covering just, you know, enter superlative here, like the most amazing scene of the movie. Objectively the most entertaining scene of the movie the everyone's favorite part of the movie the most energetic part of the movie (laughs) definitely everyone's favorite song yes i mean actually i really do like this song you know it's quite informative there's like okay we're talking about the dinner scene (laughs) and it's such an interesting scene because it's jam-packed with, uh, like we're getting slammed with narrative all of a sudden mm-hmm. after what we thought was just like a fun sequence of music videos, you know? Like we were watching a fun YouTube playlist <laughs> of old 70s musical theater numbers and now we're getting like, oh, this is a story oh, we should have been paying attention to why Eddie was here. Oh, the character they were mentioning at the at the very beginning, he came back and he matters. <laughs> and he's got a number. And uh, who the heck is Dr. Scott? Why did he show up out of the middle of nowhere all of a sudden? We try to decode Eddie's cryptic message and the even more cryptic way Dr. Scott somehow received it. And we're also going to profile the actor behind the mustache, Denton's premier high school science teacher turned UFO enthusiast, Jonathan Adams. Katie, is your favorite uh, flower slash side dish celery? You know what? No. It's really not. I despise it. I also despise any other uh, root vegetable that just tastes like crunchy water. So would you say that you hate celery? Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> so we left off with... Everybody just um, remembering that the world does not revolve around them individually. Like, oh yeah, reality. Uh, I came here with somebody. Oh, it's not like normal to just like, you know, meet 
this like she doesn't even know if rocky is a man or not like a human she's just like i have these sexual urges now and i'm going to pursue them and she's like totally blinded by this uh roller coaster she's on they all are except for riff and magenta they know exactly what's going on yeah they seem to be behind a lot of these uh schemes mm-hmm, mm-hmm. after Janet and Rocky exchange glances. She doesn't look to Brad. She's not exactly concerned with him from this point forward, I'd say. Like, even performing as Janet, like, there is a point where I feel I detach Mm -hmm. from Brad. Like, we're very much an item together, holding hands. And then, yeah, you kind of just become, like, totally solo yeah yeah and she's uh brad's pretty much just out of the picture for janet i think i think she's found her type and it's anything but bradley (laughs) J. anyone could be anything maybe and we get a transition to the criminologist back in his study it's a split down the middle wipe, like opening like a book. The crim says, Food has always played a vital role in life's rituals. The breaking of bread, the last meal of the condemned man, and now this meal. Crim is at this point taking a much more active narrator role. There was a period of like totally narratorless movie we just have like fun bops and fun character development and then he's setting this up in such a dark way yeah (laughs) it's all of a sudden like lightning crashing in the background again Uh uh-huh yeah like you think everything was fun and we were all having fun games and uh on Crim's desk, he has two framed photos of Franklin D. Roosevelt and Ronald Reagan, which is very interesting because, uh, insert the Twilight Zone theme. <laughs> Ronald Reagan was essentially a presidential hopeful in at this point in filming, like in 74 approximately, and he didn't start campaigning for his presidency until, like, 1975. Yeah, so, like, almost an entire year after this was filmed. He was kind of taking a step back from his role as the governor of California. So, I mean, like, potentially people could have maybe thought oh maybe he's gonna run for president you know that'd be like cool or whatever but like it wasn't a for sure thing so it's just a very interesting coincidence it's an interesting combination because you pointed out that both of the presidents took over after a period of unrest in american society yeah fdr took over after hoover who was president during the great depression so people were not exactly at their happiest um Mm -hmm. and 
FDR kind of was like the light at the end of the tunnel and gave a lot of people a lot of really great hope. Mm -hmm. And then Reagan actually took over after Nixon slash Ford and that whole fiasco. That like (laughs) span of time, yeah. Yeah, so again, people were doubting the government. They were doubting the country. And uh, Reagan kind of brought a glimmer of hope back. And Reagan was an actor. Yes. So it's just, it's interesting why he's on Crim's desk for a bazillion reasons. Yeah. Because it's also, we just keep getting presidential references. And those two presidents essentially stepped in at times for presidents who didn't fulfill the expectations of them at that time. Mm-hmm. You know? And then Brad has the... Nixon's speech, the resignation speech, in his car, why is he listening to that a bazillion times? Like, what is Brian Thompson telling me with (laughs) this through line of, like, disappointing men and then, like, the men who follow disappointing men, (laughs) you know? And Brad is very disappointing for Janet and then Rocky ends up being kind of... No, literally in that in that way, Brad does become FDR, American badass. <laughs> We're gonna plug that movie again because please, please go watch FDR, American badass. There are literally werewolf Nazis in that movie. Please go watch it. Okay, so like, you know, The Bachelorette with Tasha and Zach can't go on for I guess any more. I guess they have to make me sad and end the season. (laughs) So I have to watch other reality TV, I guess. But Love Island, Australia. Beautiful. Love that show. The drama's right on. And all they do is talk about each other's types. And like, are you into brunettes? Are you into blondes? He's not my type. He's a little bit too short. Like, it's so bizarre. Because they don't end up having real conversations with each other. Like, Janet hasn't had a real conversation with Brad or Rocky. Like, mm-hmm. she, I guess had a, she had the best conversation she's had all movie with Rocky during Tetcha. I mean, y- yes. Sure. But it's also like she's, he's a totally different type than Brad. Mm-hmm. Maybe she's just, like, so attracted to him because... He's just so different from the expectation of who she's supposed to be with. And maybe Muscle Man is her type. Maybe. Maybe she really is a muscle fan. But that would be like, I don't know. I'm trying, I don't know why else there would be freaking a a ex-president, well, not an ex-president. A former president. A former president. (laughs) And a not yet president Mm -hmm. on his desk. Very interesting. And also, I have come to the hesitant conclusion that Richard O'Brien and Brian Thompson are um, some kind of psychic. (laughs) Because we not only get like these little premonitions with the Reagan photo and... 
you know, just like weird random little bits of, of like things well, that are happening in the future. They had no idea that this movie was going to be popular. They had no idea it was going to resonate with people and people would want to recreate it as many and as often times as we do. But then we also get them teaming up again to do shock treatment, mm-hmm. which is totally foretelling reality TV taking over the world. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yes. Oh my gosh. It uh, I have so many thoughts about shock treatment <laughs> that I just can't even I need to parking lot all of the thoughts <laughs> right now. I'm just beep beep. I'm just you know lotted. telling you that I think they might be psychic. <sighs> they were also paying attention. Yeah. You know, like sci-fi movies are always going to be written by people who are noticing the like big brother aspects of our current reality of our current society and they're going to be the ones to write novels and movies about the like dystopian ways of society that like we don't even uh like it's just so ingrained in our society that we don't even recognize it, you know? And they recognize those things and then are able to build a world like they do in Rocky Horror where it's like almost Black Mirror. It's just there. Like, I can believe this happening. It could be happening right now. It looks like it's happening in the 70s and I believe it's happening in the 70s. You know? Mm-hmm. Krim at this point is like... Oh, we're having a good time now, are we? And he's busted out the decanter. He's having himself a a nice glass of bourbon, whiskey. I'm going to go out on a limb and say scotch. He seems like a scotch man to me. Scotchy, scotch, scotch. (laughs) (laughs) He's just like casually rimming it with his fingers. He doesn't actually drink it. But he's enjoying himself at this point. And the decanter is on top of, it looks just like the files from the Denton affair probably that he's referencing. Yeah. Because it almost looks like this, the signature pages of this like signed statements. Mm -hmm. Inside the Denton affair, we have a nice big photo of Da Vinci's The Last Supper. It's actually a big like fresco that he's painted on like the wall of some sacred holy place i don't know i'm not that into like uh religion or whatever but it's it's not just like a painting it's like actually on a wall it's a mural um and it's da vinci's interpretation of the moment that jesus told his apostles that one of them would betray him so you can see, like, each of them has, like, a look on their face. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's it's very, like, iconic imagery, mm-hmm. and it gets alluded to, it's a biblical reference, but in The Denton Affair, Krim has it ticker taped as, quote, painted representation of a previous account of human flesh being served for dinner unbeknownst to the other diners (laughs) that's so good because i think of that sometimes with how the dinner scene like the the meal that they're serving it's a slab of meat and 
it's flesh and they're drinking wine like if this is frank thinking this is the custom of like the catholic church of drink and eat the flesh and blood are you trying to tell me that eddie died for our sins i mean it is just after christmas (laughs) so also he's alluding to breaking bread which is a religious term for sharing a meal and he's also talking about sharing a last meal with your executioner and frank is definitely sharing a meal with a bunch of people he's victimizing (laughs) who is betraying who here yeah so let's do the l word shane diagram of (laughs) connecting each other (laughs) so we've got janet yeah she betrayed brad by sleeping with frank and rocky but then before she slept with rocky brad slept with frank but brad doesn't know that janet knows that brad slept with frank and brad doesn't know that janet slept with frank only Riff and Magenta know that Janet slept with Frank. And then we've got Rocky, who's betraying Frank by sleeping with Janet. But Frank already betrayed Rocky by sleeping with Janet and Brad after sleeping with Rocky. And then we've got Frank betraying, betraying Columbia by murdering Eddie. Uh-huh. And betraying Janet by sleeping with brad sleeping with brad and then betraying brad by telling dr scott that he slept with him and then betraying eddie by murdering him and (laughs) betraying dr scott by being a rival scientist of who knows how many years honestly they could be like long-term rival scientists the key word of today is betray brought to you by the letter b (laughs) Is that even a word anymore, though? I, I was know. typing it, it so and I said, times. betray, betray, betray. And I was like, uh. We've said it so many times. But we get a square box from center wipe outward to a canted angle of the dinner scene. A lot of the shot is taken up by the chandelier mm-hmm. that's over the dinner table. And this dinner table is so bizarre it's so oh man so the arrangement we've got janet sitting next to brad because frank is gonna make them sit with their decisions you know (laughs) and then on the other side we've got rocky sitting next to columbia Mm -hmm. partially because he doesn't want rocky to sit anywhere near janet Mm mm-hmm He's got mm-hmm. him sitting as far away from her as he possibly can. Yeah, and he also keeps Janet right next to him. Frank keeps mm-hmm. right next to him. Frank keeps Janet right, right next to him so that he can keep an eye on her, mm-hmm. you know, make sure no handsy stuff's happening under the table. No footsies. Yeah, no funny business. And We've- Dr. Scott is on the other end of the barrel from frank and frank's right at the head of the table and they're just sitting there staring at each other silently Mm -hmm. 
Frank is totally fine with this being awkward because he doesn't feel emotions, I don't think. I, I think Transylvanians, if they need it defined for them, he's like, meh, totally indifferent. Yeah, he's like on the operating on the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like on the bare level of sex, sleep, food. That's that's the basic level, right? I covered I so. it. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> if we were shadow casting this scene. The way we do it at Chaos is we kind of all sit at the edge of the stage and we set it up flat like the Last Supper painting. Mm-hmm. We don't do like one on, you know, like... Here's the side of the table. Here's the other side of the table. I mean, you can do that. But for us, we don't have a table like that. And it's easier for the audience to see us if we're Mm -hmm. all sitting in one straight line. That's how we do it at Midnight Insanity also. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's just... It looks better from the audience. And they get shots of their faces. Like, you don't only have the shot of... Uh, with Colombian Rockies backs to the camera. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's effective. So you can see all of their facial expressions. Plus then you get really nifty photos that make your cast look like you're in the Last Supper. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, as Janet, I'll put my heels back on after Tetra because she's wearing her heels for Medusa and I won't get a sh- an opportunity to put my heels on otherwise so i'll have them like preset right before i go do tatcha so that way i can grab them real quick and then she's now down to her ripped up lace slip and uh otherwise we this is the moment of shadow casting where we like really actively participate in callbacks i would say yeah and that seems to be pretty standard for most shadow casts that I've seen. So I know that everybody is in the costume that they were in the scene prior. Mm-hmm. We've got Janet in her rip slip. We've got Brad in his blue robe. We've got Dr. Scott wearing Dr. Scott clothes. <laughs> we've got Rocky in his gold. And we've got Columbia in her PJs. The only one that has changed since the last time we mm-hmm. saw them is Frank. And Frank is now wearing... A, it's like a mesh long sleeve uh, top mm-hmm. with like like an silver applique, applique like uh-huh. floral applique across it, and then a it's like a dark colored paisley velvet waist cincher. It's like very muted colors, but mm-hmm. it's like purples and oranges and blues. Um, very, mm-hmm. very muted colors, but there are certain shots that you can see where it's like, oh, it is Paisley. <laughs> ah. Hey. <laughs> no, I love it. And he's wearing that under the leather jacket in the previous scene, but he ditches the leather jacket. Mm-hmm. That's why that leather jacket is a commitment. It's like the sequin tailcoat. Like, you wear it for one scene, but it is mwah, just beautiful when you get it right. Yeah, and people and you could wear it out yeah i think someone should wear their columbia jacket as just you know night out on the town yeah go for it thank you i will (laughs) 
this table is just stuffed to the brim with things that don't make sense. Like the spread in the ballroom during time warp didn't make sense. And Patricia Quinn in the commentary and also just, you know, trivia, pretty well-known trivia of the movie is that Jim Sharman wanted this to be a dinner party that didn't make sense Mm -hmm. and to further foreshadow that they're not of this planet. Like, they don't know how to throw a dinner party. They don't know they need to match the china. They don't know they need to line the silverware up in a specific order. Mm -hmm. They just think, oh, it's fancy to have as many forks and knives offered as possible. (laughs) Great. Let's give them all varying amounts. Rocky has a salad in a bedpan. Yeah. (laughs) There's, like, different, like, crystal vases that have, like, either nothing in them or, like, weird things in them. Like, there's a vase that has, like, it's just full of stalks of celery. Mm -hmm. Um, But not in, like, a serving dish kind of way, but in, like, a floral arrangement type of way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, They all have like different plates Uh and different amounts of cutlery Uh um like there's not only just an abundance of cutlery but they all have different amounts Uh i know dr scott has like seven forks and a knife on the right and a dessert spoon on top of his plate but then rocky on the right has like i think it's four spoons and one of them is flipped upside down for no reason um (laughs) It's just totally bonkers. And then there's like condiments in little tiny jars and a centerpiece where the roast would probably go if they were going to hang out long enough for there to be seconds. (laughs) Uh, But they all have different glassware except Frank and Columbia have matching, like their wine glasses are matching. And then Janet and Rocky have matching, like, beer cups, beer glasses. Yeah, like pint glasses. Mm-hmm. Brad gets stiffed with the mug, and Dr. Scott gets a giant beer stein. Mm-hmm. Um, they all have, like, party hats hanging off of the back of their chairs as well. Uh-huh. <laughs> but Frank doesn't, like, tell them when they are all sitting there in silence doing nothing. Staring at each other. Hey, I put party hats out for everyone. We're going to toast to Rocky in a minute once Riff and Magenta get here. Do you guys want to put, put your on hats your on? party hat? No, he's like, this. none of this is for you. And Krim continues in his voiceover. However informal it might appear, you can be sure that there was to be very little bonami. En français. <laughs> Uh, what does that mean? Uh, it's like geniality, like friendliness. Mm-hmm. So just, he's just trying to be bougie for no reason. Well, so is Frank. Frank <laughs> casually dropped an enchanté, you know? And Krim is also warning that this might look like a, a casual dinner with friends. It's just so obvious. When we're breaking it down in, like, the the chunks, the setup is so obvious, and it's so, 
like it the the reveal is laid out for you Mm -hmm. the lines are so funny and the fact that frank wastes no time to just like dr scott's here okay dinner's prepared oh cool two two birds with one stone i can address this all at once (laughs) they're sitting in total silence as magenta pushes open those gorgeous double doors Mm -hmm. Uh, they've got stained glass window panels with greek style vases yes we're fancy here And Richard O'Brien is in love with these doors. He talks about these doors on the commentary. He's for... like, I don't know where they went, but I told everyone that I wanted those doors. Someone had to have stolen them. They're not there anymore. They're not at Oakley Court anymore. Someone stole them. I want them. <laughs> I mean, they are really beautiful and they're really unique. So they have like two panels on each door. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in the Greek uh, like vases that are all matching, there's different like vines of flowers mm-hmm. coming out so there's like a, the one on the far left looks like maybe lavender the next one is something that looks like a hibiscus and then there's like lilies and probably mums i don't know i'm not a botanist but i gave it my best shot that's what it looks like to me we see more and more marble statues and busts as well in mm-hmm. this di- uh, dining room they're in are they collecting these fine art pieces or are these more failed and past creations? I think that they're like Frank's Pinterest. Like, okay, he goes to like, you know, antique shops or whatever. And he's <laughs> like, that one's pretty. Oh, I like that one's nose. Ooh, that one has nice ears, you know? And he just like grabs his favorite things so that he can use them for future inspiration. Because then there's also, like, some of them are missing arms or heads. Because that wasn't the important part. Well, what if he was, that's what he built Rocky out of. (gasps) Ooh. He broke off pieces of different statues that he liked. And was like, great idea. I built the perfect man because proportionally he's exactly what I wanted. (laughs) I built him to design. But Riff and Magenta are pushing a silver car. A tray on a cart. Yes. Uh, Riff Raff. They go around the side with Brad and uh, Janet, and then Riff opens the tray to what's being served for dinner? Steam. (laughs) (laughs) It's like an abundance of steam. (laughs) It's hot. It's fresh. Like, they just got done cooking it, and no sooner... Did Magenta tell them to come down and eat it? Yeah, it's uh, steamed hams for dinner, you know. (laughs) And it's like the strangest joint of meat. Like, it doesn't look like a ham. It's rump roast. Yeah, it looks like it's like a a human thigh. Like, it looks (laughs) like it's thick on the thigh part, and then it tapers off to, like, a knee. Yeah. And... It's very strange. Riff just plops it in front of Frank... And then slams the tray lid back shut. Mm-hmm. They know it's Eddie. They've got to know it's right? Eddie. Like, they, they probably cooked it. I don't see anybody else that could have cooked it. Frank sure as hell did not cook that on his own. No, I think, yeah, right? Because I would uh, I would think it's like Magenta, the domestic, also cooks dinner for the house. 
So, like, Riff probably helped in moving Eddie from the freezer. Mm -hmm. But they're indifferent toward Eddie, too, right? Yeah. They don't, because they didn't care about him during Hot Patootie, but I just can't imagine them ever caring about any interest Frank has in any human. Mm-hmm. You know? Is cannibalism a thing in Transylvania? I think that the Transylvanians may think that they're a, like a higher evolved species than us, and therefore they can like hunt us as game. You know mm. what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because I was thinking that too, that they're just like, oh, humans eat cows and chickens and other species like oh they're just another species that you can consume for calories yeah um it's so weird i went to a museum in san diego a few years ago the museum of man Mm -hmm. and they had a cannibalism exhibit um just talking about like the history of it in like subcultures and it's so interesting you probably know so you because you studied anthropology so you probably yeah but i also study like true crime and creepy (laughs) stuff like that so i know a lot (laughs) but in the exhibit they had a um like video Mm -hmm. playing in the in the exhibit and it showed a bunch of pop culture current pop culture that references being cannibals and rocky horror was in it it was also they also had the always sunny in philadelphia episode where charlie and d accidentally they they do eat they don't know if they eat human meat (laughs) they do eat human meat did they have the uh theme song for uh or the theme music for last podcast on the left that's when the cannibalism started (laughs) oh shit I mean, this is when the cannibalism is starting <laughs> in Rocky Horror. And, like, so if they're shape-shifting aliens, it's only cannibalism in the sense that they're in human form right yeah, now. Because but like technically they're, they're aliens. They're not humans. So mm-hmm. aliens eating humans wouldn't be cannibalism. It would just be... Uh, a mind fuck because we'd be like what aliens <laughs> cannot compute what what do you call it when an alien eats a human is there a term for that we then see magenta indifferent as always just dangling the meat carver offering it to frank ready for him to just can you just start please he stands takes it from her and begins to really carve into that meat. Mm-hmm. And, like, I don't know if we're supposed to be appetized by it, but, like, it looks like it's a good piece of meat. I mean, they do say that human flesh tastes like pork. Uh, so, uh, I don't want to think that they're actually, car- like, Katie, I'm not saying that. <laughs> It looks delicious because it looks human. I'm saying that whatever meat they used to substitute meatloaf. I'm just saying. Like, it looks like just like the most tender. It does. Juiciest turkey meat. 
But like turkey is not that juicy, you know? They like slice into that and that's tender. Tender. So yeah, pork like consistency. I can, I can imagine. (laughs) And then uh, as Frank is carving, Riff and Magenta begin serving the wine. (laughs) They're walking down the sides of the table, just kind of sloshing. Well, Riff is sloshing the wine all over the entire table. Like, doesn't doesn't matter if it gets into the plates. Doesn't matter if it's even in the cup at all. Yeah, it doesn't matter at all. But Magenta is, like, very politely serving the wine, pouring it pretty nicely into the goblets. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And Brad is openly pouting oh he's upset he is upset and what is he allowed to be upset over please i'd like to know i don't know because like if i understand i understand feeling blindsided by coming into the laboratory and finding her in the throes of passion with rocky but also so hypocritical because it's total he's totally banking on the fact that he thinks that she doesn't know about frank Mm -hmm. and he thinks he's in the clear janet is sitting next to him and she almost looks like she's considering apologizing to him but then she's like wait a second why are you mad at me again what do you have to be mad at me for like i i caught you being uh in infidelity what's the word unfaithful thank you being infidelity to me yeah what (laughs) and she's just wants uh she doesn't know what she wants janet is so confused everything has happened so fast and now she has to sit and just take it She doesn't know any of these people. Like, what is she going to do? She can't get up and walk away. She could. Could you imagine if she was just like, Bye. I don't need any of this anymore. I'm done. I don't... I'm done with you. I'm done with you. I'm done with you. If you want to come with me, Rocky, we can can head out right now. Would Frank let her go? No. You don't don't think Brad and Janet could have ever gotten out? I don't think so. I think that, I think that, yeah, I don't think, I don't think he would have let them go. Because, yeah, it's like a cult thing first. First you think, before we get into knowing they're not from Earth, you think they're just a weird sex cult. Mm -hmm. And they're doing weird sex stuff out in the middle of nowhere. And then it's like, (sighs) it just keeps getting weirder and weirder. After Rocky's wine is served to him, he picks up his wine glass to cheers. He's, like, looking across the table. We're assuming to Janet, because he has got this little smirky smile on his face. Yeah. He just looks, he's doing his, like, Rocky cute face, yeah, you know? Yeah, he's, he's adorable and he's yeah. happy. And as soon as he picks up his wine goblet, uh, Frank threatens him with the <laughs> meat carver. And Rocky puts his uh, drink really quickly back down and is uh pretty frightened yeah because the last frank said on the matter was i can break you just as easily as i can make you so rocky is like on eggshells he's like i don't know 
what's going to make this guy snap? I saw him murder Eddie earlier. Mm-hmm. He's capable of, he, I know he's capable of murdering Rocky too. So it's like, poor Rocky. He just doesn't know. No. That's like getting mad at the puppy when you're like, the puppy didn't know he wasn't supposed to pick up his wine glass yet. Okay. <laughs> Riff and Magenta are distributing the slices of meat. Uh, Then they return to their places back up at the front, but they're not just distributing these pieces of meat, like, you know, with a nice little, like, the little serving fork. No, they're, like, with their hands tossing meat onto each person's plate. Yep. (laughs) It's so gross. They're just tossing it. And the silence in this room is so tense And Frank is, like, literally cutting it with a knife. It's just buzzing in the background. And when you hear the, like, dishes clang from the meat hitting them, it's like a shock every single time a noise happens. That's how quiet this scene is. Mm -hmm. And Frank puts the carving knife back down, picks up his glass. One of my favorite callbacks is a bread, a muffin, a toast to absent friends. To absent friends, everybody very confusedly responds to the strangest toast ever offered at a party. Yeah, it's a very, very strange toast to give to a group of people that you don't know the majority of. Mm -hmm. And, like, also... So much for trying to be friends. Like, if you really would rather be with other people, Frank, thanks so much for inviting us. But he's also immediately addressing what Dr. Scott came for and what Dr. Scott was requesting information on and is foreshadowing Eddie's re-arrival? Fate? (laughs) Dr. Scott doesn't think twice He downs his drink. He doesn't even really look at what's been served to him. Like, it could have been anything. He could have gotten poisoned right there. If Frank had the ulterior motive and has been observing Dr. Scott all this time and was like, great, I want to... um, Actually, no, I think Frank sees the value in maybe taking a person like that hostage back to... Transylvania. Yeah, I mean, definitely. But what I think is really funny about this toast, especially because the scientist in this just downs it without question, Brad is, like, very carefully examining his cup and uh, wipes down the rim of the glass before he (laughs) drinks from it, Um, which, to me, is very out of character for Bradley J because he's kind of very gung-ho about every other thing that he does up to this point but now that he's been bamboozled he's like uncertain he's like questioning things now Hmm. poor brad i know yeah because it's also he's not just questioning his sexuality maybe now he's questioning his relationship Mm -hmm. with the person that he earlier this evening thought was making a lifelong commitment to and now he's like what the f- like what can i be certain of what is going on here 
that everything could fall apart so quickly and fall so out of control and it's not all right, Brad. Everything is not always going to be all right, Brad. Maybe you should listen to Janet's intuition. For once. For once, early on, because now it's too late. Now she's out of there. Frank continues with his toast. And Rocky. Oh, yeah. My child. My child is here. (laughs) And it's his birthday. So I guess we should celebrate his birthday. And you cut back to Rocky. And he's like, (gasps) like his face. He's so concerned. Like, oh, no, this is it. This is the time. This is is when he's getting me. This is when he's going to pull that carving knife back out. But no, he pulls out a birthday hat and places it on his afro and clasps his hands together. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Rocky. Happy birthday to... Shall we? And he's... Like, he didn't make him for you, Janet. This wasn't your song to duet with me. Okay, Frank was like, this was my I'm going home ballad. He was going to serenade Rocky with his birthday song. (laughs) Rocky starts eating his meat, which it's just like, I don't know what his, his relationship to Eddie would technically be. So is it wrong that he's eating Eddie? Because is Rocky a human or an alien? Is Eddie... is he neither? Is he a Greek statue that doesn't need sustenance and is eating for nothing? Columbia nudges him when she sees him pick up the meat. Because he's just going full full hands, (laughs) just in mouth, going. She elbows him and then holds up her fork and looks at him all pissed. (laughs) And he grabs his fork and just whole hand just stabs the meat and picks up the whole piece of meat and continues to eat it the way that he was eating it but now on a fork (laughs) skewered on a fork on a stick and dr scott wants no part in this strange alien ritual and cuts to this chase he says we came here to discuss eddie columbia slams down her silverware she says eddie And Frank interrupts her before she can say anything because Columbia could talk about Eddie for days. Eddie is Columbia's favorite person. If she knew Dr. Scott was his nephew, she would be like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. I'm meeting the family. But yeah, so she shuts up. (laughs) Frank is like, I will eat anyone at this table. Don't you tempt me, Columbia. I will eat you too. And he turns to face Dr. Scott. He says, It's a rather tender subject. Everyone kind of stops. Another slice, anyone? And everyone looks at their food. Brad had paused before he took another bite, but everyone had gotten like a good bite in. (laughs) You know? (laughs) That you can't turn back. At that point, they look at their their food and if they didn't know that it was Eddie, if they didn't realize 
Frankenfurter was being clever in responding to Dr. Scott that way. They know something's weird about the meat now. Like, uh, I don't know if I trust this meal anymore. (laughs) And like, also, again, reading the lines out. Yes. It's so clear. It's so obvious that they are chowing down on some meatloaf. But it's kind of like, it's so played for comedy. And it's also brief when... Frank is going through these bits of dialogue and there's so many callbacks. Honestly, this part of the movie in Shadowcast, I I know a lot, a lot of casts do not Shadowcast this part in the movie. Um, They usually have like music playing over it or they tell people to get up and go get a drink in the lobby or use the bathroom. Um... It's not super common to actually sit down and do this part of the movie. We do it at Midnight Insanity. But that's also, it depends on the the size of the audience. Yeah. Like, at this point, you can feel the, um, the speed of the movie start to slow down. Definitely. Because we're about to hit the climax. Like, if we were... If we went straight from Rocky Horror Roll Call into Rose Tint My World, oh my gosh, you would not remember any of it because it would just be like the whole middle section of the movie that's a bunch of fun songs, fun bops, good musical theater numbers. Like, it is the low right before we're about to start ratcheting up the action again. Mm -hmm. And if you're paying attention, it's so fun of a reveal because... This is when we're starting to get all of the important narrative Mm -hmm, to the mm -hmm. movie. But it's also when things start, like, going batshit insane, flying off the walls. Totally. You're getting lost from every element of it because now we're going to another planet. We're talking about something that's, like, not usually in a musical where you're, like, Oh, I'm I'm watching a fun musical about two squares that are going to explore themselves. It's like, <laughs> wait, no, what? Now they're aliens? <laughs> Columbia Rises. Wait. Before Columbia Rises, everyone has stopped eating. Except for our sweet birthday boy. Who either did not get the joke... Or just doesn't care. No, he's hungry. He's a he's an actual meathead. He's like, no, must carb load. Um, protein, 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 protein. <laughs> and he just keeps gnawing on it. But Columbia stands from the table. She says, "Excuse me," and rushes from the room, throws both of those doors open, and slams them behind her, and then just wails. And wails and wails. <laughs> it's like the loudest scream cry. And we cut back to Frank, who is pouring a ton of ketchup on his serving of meatloaf. And it's so funny because the ketchup label is very uh, obviously labeled on the outside. Like you can, you're reading it, it says ketchup. And he's just so 
surprised. Why could why is Columbia upset? What could I have said to offend her? Was Columbia not in on the decision? Did she not know they were going to uh, cook Eddie up for dinner? I don't think so. And I actually have some other doubts about how much Columbia knows as well. But we'll get into it in a little bit. Because she gets that it's a tasteless joke. Does she know that they eat humans? In general, does she know that's like part of the Transylvanian food pyramid? I don't think so. I think that depending on how long she's been at the castle, she's definitely had meals with them before, but I don't think it's ever been like overtly disclosed to her how they're getting the, the this protein. Because, okay, if she doesn't know, that's one thing. If she does know... And she is okay with it, then that is actual cannibalism. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Columbia, we know, is human, and um, we can hold her to our our s- s- simple standards of <laughs> of don't eat other people, <laughs> just don't eat other people. But if she doesn't know, then she doesn't know. I don't think she does. I don't think she does. But st- Charlie and D, they still ate. Uh, they, well, we don't know if they ate human, but if they did eat human, then they did. Then Dr. Scott's like turned to watch her leave and realizes there's a camera right there that he can pan to and break the fourth wall real quick and start addressing us directly, which we don't get otherwise unless it's from Krim. Yeah. We get a one moment of Frank in Sweet Tea. But other than that, it's not a common thing for a character to be talking directly to us unless it's our narrator, Krim. And this person, too, that is, we don't know him from a bar of soap. Like, why is he talking to us right now? Where does he, does he know there's a camera right there? Does he know he's being observed? I, yes, yes. I think that Dr. Scott is fully aware of what is happening. I think that he has been studying Transylvanians for decades. I think he knows everything. It's just so interesting to me. So, okay, he says to the camera, I knew he was in with a bad crowd, but it was worse than I imagined. He turns to look at Rocky. Aliens. Rocky drops his jaw with food in his mouth. And it's so funny. I love that <laughs> shot of it's Peter the Hinley. cutest. Because he's truly in shock in the way that if Eddie's brain is responding, if that's an Eddie brain reaction, then maybe Eddie didn't know that they were aliens either. Yeah. And that's what I'm getting at is I don't think Columbia knew that they were aliens either. And she left before he dropped this like truth bomb. So mm-hmm. like, she missed the news flash. I don't think she knows they're aliens. I don't think she knows that she's been eating people. She's just thought this was the fun place to hang out. Yeah. And she's been there. It could be for a week. could be longer. could be less. Yeah. We don't know. Mm-hmm. Brad and Janet look at each other. Then at Dr. Scott, they say, Dr. Scott! What? What do you... Hold on. What do you mean, Dr. Scott? 
what do you mean that they're aliens? What do you what do you mean that you're just going to show up out of nowhere and you're just going to come into this movie that I've been watching for however long, for an hour. An hour. And you're going to tell me these people that I've been watching are aliens <laughs> and just like gloss over it. And it's also it's so weird to then like cuz we know they're aliens after watching it a few times. But it's interesting to then think if they were humans just participating in a weird sex orgy club, you know, and it's, it's not what it seems. It's not, they're not evil. They're just weirdos out in the middle of nowhere having their fun, freaky fantasies. But like, we're also getting this revelation before we're going to get the cannibalism reveal so that. We're at least, we're getting the mind fucks spaced out. We can't get it all just like freight train hit us at once. But this is also when they, this is like the first overt disclosure that these folk are aliens. Mm -hmm. But it's so funny because a lot of people are like, I didn't realize that they like really were aliens. And I'm like, yeah, because you didn't pay attention during dinner scene when they say that they are aliens. Well... How, how much, that's what this movie is so, why it's brilliant, is you need to watch it to catch all of the little things. If you ask somebody the first, after they've watched it the first time, if they got why Eddie was there, if they were aliens. They're going to say no. They're like, wait, what? I didn't know they were aliens. <laughs> And you're like, yeah, remember where Dr. Scott says that they're aliens right in the middle of the movie? And they're like, who's Dr. Scott again? Like, it's so much to have to keep straight. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, Frank, he's like, I don't, I haven't revealed all my cards. Go on, Dr. Scott. Then slams his own silverware down. Or should I say, Dr. Von Scott. Da-da-da! <laughs> Just exactly what are you implying? And <laughs> Frank, what is he implying with this? Is he saying that Dr. Scott is a Nazi doctor? For Yeah, for sure. Right? That's like... I mean, like... Is that practically canon? I, I think yes. Because I'm curious how Frank knows... He's a, a Nazi doctor. I'm curious if they worked together. Yeah, because I mean, in the stage show, Frank did have a German accent, like, in yes. early iterations of the stage show. Right. And then, like we, we said in the last episode, that uh, Richard O'Brien wished Jonathan Adams didn't have such a strong German accent right off the bat, so that this reveal would be oh, he's German? I can't trust this <laughs> mysterious German scientist. Because you also have to remember that at this time uh, in history, it was a very real thing that uh, some of the Nazi doctors and higher-ups did escape, and they were able to hide out in, like, Argentina, and, you know, some of them were even offered jobs by the U.S. military, Um so this was a real fear that was circulating the globe at this point. Mm -hmm. Magenta also says earlier, triumph of your will. 
to Frank. And I'm just curious if he, too, was a Nazi doctor. Who was posing as a, yeah. Yeah, who was like, I want to learn about the experimentation on humans because that's the mission I'm going to be sent on, ultimately. So I'm going to shapeshift, observe, and, and learn just the atrocities and crimes against humanity that uh, were performed during the Holocaust. But it's uh, like, he could have. They could have. Or Frank could just be throwing out a total red herring Mm -hmm. to distract from what's really going on. (laughs) He's like, oh, you... (laughs) Aliens, I got one on you. Let's one up each other. Let's I, I'm gonna distract. And Dr. Scott is looks guilty as charged. He's taken aback. But it's also like a thing of like How dare you? Um yes, okay. Yes, how dare you insult me if it's not the truth. If he's like don't make that kind of claim about me. But what if it's like he looks at Frank and it's like that's what I recognize you from. Mm. Oh. Oh. <laughs> uh. It's all right, Brad. It's all right. It's all right. It's all right. It's okay. It's all right, Brad. It's all right, Brad. And he's so freaked out. He's panicking. But Dr. Scott. He quiets him down. He says, it's all right, Brad. And he starts, like, laughing. <laughs> when Brad was needing to know what he was implying... He slammed his hand on Susan's hand. And poor Susan, you see it on her face. She wasn't expecting to get a a fist on her on her poor little right hand. But so begins a song that wasn't originally written for the stage show. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eddie's Teddy. And it was added to the stage show at a later time, at the same time that Charles Atlas was added and Planet Schmanet Janet mm-hmm. was added. Yeah. It's written in the key of C major with lyrics and original music by Richard O'Brien and musical arrangements for the film by Richard Hartley. It's really interesting if Dr. Scott knows that he's either eulogizing his dinner you googleizing you googleizing <laughs> i did the you googly i know what a you googly is one who speaks at funerals a you googleizer <laughs> and he's either knows that eddie is dead and that's why he's singing this ballad about Eddie's life or it's like him genuinely like pleading to Frank I know him I know he wasn't a good kid but if he's here somewhere I'm picking him up let me take him off your hands maybe I don't know I don't know if Dr. Scott is there for Eddie necessarily Mm, yeah we have our we have our doubts Mm -hmm. because he's like forget everything frank just implied about me i have a song that i need to sing he starts from the day he was born he was trouble 
He was the thorn in his mutter's side. She tried in vain, and then we'd cut back to Krim in his study. But he never caused her nothing but shame. And he has the Denton Affair opened to a picture (laughs) of... Uh, the original painting is titled Arrangement in Gray and Black, number one. It's known as Whistler's Mother, though. Mm-hmm. But this <laughs> photo has Meatloaf's face photoshopped onto it. Yeah, it's a <laughs> Meatloaf posed as the painting Whistler's Mother. It's beautiful. A piece of honest-to-God art. <laughs> and I don't know what's so bad about Eddie. I know the lyrics to Eddie's Teddy, and I know that he's got an addiction problem, but he doesn't sound like a terrible guy. Yeah. Well, he has some not-so-great implied things about him. Um, But what is he... Why is he trouble? Why do you think he's trouble from such a young age? Um... That's a really heavy question to ask. Because he... They only talk about all of the trouble he gets into after his mother dies. See, I had always interpreted this song. I mean, like, so in the lyrics that we have from the script, it has it as... So Dr. Scott says, he left home the day she died and from the day she was gone. But I had always known the song as... From the day he was born. Mm -hmm. All he wanted. So, to me, that version makes more sense Mm -hmm. of, like, this kid's been rocking and rolling and shooting up and being... From a a young age. Being a new science from a very young age. But if it's from the day she was gone... Then that's him reacting and grieving. And, yeah. like, being lost yeah, and not and having, help. yeah, no one helping him. Like, if Dr. Scott is just observing him doing all these things and... And also, did Richard O'Brien just write this song literally about Meatloaf's mother's death and what Meatloaf went through after his mother's death? Basically. That's what it <laughs> sounds like. Like, okay, so he left home the day she died... He didn't uh, run away at the age of 10. He, like, stayed at home yeah. until there was no family left. And then he, like, life is hard. All he wanted was rock and roll, porn, and a motorbike. And we cut back to Krim and his study as he's flipping pages in the Denton Affair. Uh, We first see a record. Uh, It's Acme Records, the song Teddy Bear. Mm -hmm. Um, The Denton ticker tape, it's it's a blur. You cannot read what it says. Yeah. Sean Hall Designs does not have it, (laughs) unfortunately. I'd love to restore this movie in like 8K (laughs) so you could read the ticker tape on the Denton Affair. Um but then on the other opposite page is a cover of Parliament Publications, Tonight, 
volume 11, number four. <laughs> and it's an English adult magazine with a topless lady. Woo! <laughs> uh, he sh- turns the page to a bunch of, like, clippings from magazines. Essentially, it's a picture of Evil Knievel doing a stunt and a, like, girl on the back of a black and white bike. But it's, like, it's... it almost looks like he cut out one picture of, of a the, chick. Of a girl, yeah. And then Rat Bike of the Month is a different photo. Yeah. And they pasted it on top of it because then you got the Choppers magazine, which is like torn mm-hmm. and you can't see the whole like all of the yeah the whole page and then another motorbike um then he flips the page to eddie as an addict <laughs> uh sitting on a toilet shooting up junk wearing an acme shirt it looks like it's like acme nope i do i can't read what it says on as the second line. I know, I can't. I'm not very good at um, Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> and I can't really, like, I'm very bad at filling in, like, blank letters. Because it doesn't look like it's, like, studios or records. No. Or something. On the opposite side of that page, it's his fingerprints. And with Sean Hall Designs, we've got a very good... Um, redone version of it in which he is referenced as Eddie Von Scott. Mm. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's an E thing. Them Von Scotts. Yeah. Everett and Edward. And his mother Edwina. <laughs> Edwina Von Scott. Yep. That's who's that's... in the Whistler's mother. Yeah, that's what I'm portrait. going. I'm going with Edwina. <laughs> Meatloaf Played not only Eddie, but also Edwina von Scott. <laughs> oh, man. And Dr. Scott continues to sing, shooting up junk. And it's really hard for you to understand. And you, I, it, I'm feeling it had to be like a censors thing. Like they didn't want it to be directly referred to. And in a stage show, you can kind of say those Lines without uh, a censor saying, I don't like that this is overtly um, referencing a heroin use. Mm -hmm. So I don't know why he sings it that way, unless it's just like hard for Dr. Scott to talk about. But if we're going with the theory that maybe heroin is what allows Transylvanians to exist on Earth. Like, yeah, okay, Eddie being a dealer. What what are the ethics of a dealer providing life-sustaining, preserving, yeah, yeah, preserving medications, like, in that sense? Yeah, totally. I mean, it's, it's wild speculation. <laughs> <laughs> it's what we do on this show. We speculate wildly. And then the next page reveal in the Denton Affair reveals two photos of Eddie as a juvenile delinquent with the label 274306. And then we zoom out on the shot we've had of the Denton Affair to criminologist. And in the stage show, 
Dr. Scott would have like pulled a scrapbook out to show us these photos. Yeah, show us these photos as he's talking about the content in the Denton affair. So it's interesting that the crim has compiled all of this information when if it's Dr. Scott showing it, it's like him looking for his nephew who's gone missing. So he has these items. If you've maybe seen him, does he might look like this. This is, I don't know. I But then also, why would Dr. Scott have a scrapbook of like rock and roll record photos and porn? Like it's what? It's so dumb. It's just very bizarre. <laughs> but then Krim has it. Why Why did he add them to the Denton Affair? Why is it important that this is... Why is this all important to the investigation of Brad and Janet's night? Or is this just like... I mean, I guess it could also just be standard if he's investigating Eddie's murder. Yeah. I mean, that could be the affair that we're talking about. You know what I mean? Like, we may not be talking about the same type of affair that we thought we were originally. We may not be talking about Frank and Rocky and maybe they're just investigating Eddie's murder. Mm. Maybe that's Mm -hmm. what this Mm -hmm. whole story is really about. And it's just, I mean, that would make sense too because then they get the three statements of the people closest to Eddie who are reporting his death. Yeah. We need to reread the Denton Affair statements. We'll re- we'll reread them before the next episode, <laughs> and then have it fresh for the rest of the of the series. Um, Criminologist says he was a low down, cheap little punk, and, and I say says because he says it. He does not sing it, mm-hmm. <laughs> and he doesn't talk about anybody this way. Yeah, no. He doesn't talk about any of the skeevy behavior we've seen anybody do throughout the events of the movie he hasn't said look at that punk watching look at these two punks magenta and columbia watching janet and rocky hook up like why doesn't he like eddie yeah why is he so down on eddie why does he hate eddie he's like he's a low-down cheap little punk bitch rude (laughs) rude and then we wipe back to the dining room dr scott says Taking everyone for a ride. And he's a doctor, okay? Apparently. I can only assume by his title that he is a real doctor. And if he's not only a doctor, but Eddie's family, if he could recognize that Eddie was going down like a dark path or like a dangerous lifestyle or whatever, the feeling to have on it is not... He's really yanking us around on a chain and taking us on a ride. It's, I need to help this person because his mother died and I'm possibly the... Dr. Scott might be his only, like, parental figure left after his mother dies. So, like, can't he help a guy out? But again, you have to realize during these times, mental health was not addressed at all. It was not a thing. People didn't talk about it. 
you were hysterical mm-hmm. and you had to get your ovaries removed because you were a woman. Or lobotomized. Yeah. Like women who were experiencing their emotions and were thinking too much. They were like, no, 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 you're thinking too much. Let's literally electrocute your brain so you can't have thoughts anymore. So just imagine a man who was abusing drugs being taken in to a hospital and they were like he needs help and they're like yeah he does he's a high on and it's like no he's grieving his mother passing away no they don't care about that kind they of don't stuff. care all they care about is that when eddie said he didn't like his teddy you knew he was a no good kid what is what is his teddy because i don't know if it's a term for like like his uncle like you have your uncle and you call him teddy i mean so my recollection of the lyrics, which is that he's been bad since he was born. Okay. I think that it's an actual literal teddy bear. When he so said, like he didn't like stuffed animals as a kid? Yeah, like his, you know, his family member gave him a stuffed animal and he's like, I don't fucking like this. And you knew he was a no good kid. You know what I mean? But it's also, he's a kid. <laughs> like if he doesn't like... A teddy bear, like, maybe try next year. Maybe he'll like teddy bears next year. No, fuck that teddy bear forever, is what Eddie said. Well, he, yeah, if he has been wild since the day he was born, but if he is expressing, I don't know, just basic, I'm thinking of children express, like, if Danny from The Shining was like, I don't like this teddy bear, you would be like, hmm. I wonder why he doesn't like the teddy bear. So why doesn't Eddie like a teddy bear? Because he's a no good kid. We cut back to Frank sitting between Riff and Magenta, who are bopping and singing along to lyrics like Brad and Janet. And Rocky. Rocky's like dancing. I think he starts singing along by the end of it. By the end of it, yeah, I think so. But... Uh, Frank is not singing along. Mm -mm. uh, Dr. Scott continues, when he threatened your life with a switchblade knife. What a guy. Makes you cry. I did. I think Frank is saying that he sounds dreamy. Like, ooh, what a guy. Yeah. (laughs) He loves the bad boys. I love him with switchblade knives. Mm, Sounds dangerous. I love a guy that doesn't like teddy bears. What is Dr. Scott undididding? That he cr- that he cried. Cried about what? Eddie not liking stuffed animals? He cried about Eddie's troubles in his life. I think he's crying because Eddie didn't like Dr. Scott growing up and was like, you know, this relationship with this guy, he's weird. He's into weird stuff, weird weird experimentation maybe. And he's got, like, a weird interest in aliens, and I'm just gonna, like, live my life. So then Dr. Scott's, like, literally crying about not having a relationship with his nephew. That's so sad. That's even more (laughs) sad. Well, hey, he could help him, and then he would have a relationship with Eddie. He tried. In vain. (laughs) No, she tried. In vain. But he also probably tried. (laughs) (laughs) And we wipe 
to Columbia in her room. She's sitting at a dressing table with, uh, in the background, there's like a guitar hanging on the wall, but it also looks like, uh, like just like a prop. It doesn't look like a real guitar. It's like, it looks like a cutout of a guitar. And it's caught a photo of Meatloaf projected, probably. It looks like it's... It looks like it's projected on It's fuzzy. It doesn't look like it's, like, painted on a real guitar. And she is lamenting over a very cluttered (laughs) nightstand table with an autographed photo of... Who is this? Oh, this is uh, Hetty King. She's a super famous male impersonator. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's uh, autographed. It's autographed for Columbia. Mm-hmm. Okay, is this Columbia's room with all the Eddie merchandise? I think so. I almost like thinking that it's not her room, but she brought in all of these touches of like her prized photograph, her prized autographed photo of an impersonator, a a male impersonator. But also, on that same note, what if it is Frank's, like, one of Frank's rooms that he decorated, and Frank has an autographed photo (laughs) of a male impersonator? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. I feel like Frank would want a room in his house that's like a fun girl's room. Mm Mm-hmm. That looks like Perry Bedden and Brian Thompson's apartment. (laughs) Because don't we all want a room that looks like that? Columbia sings. Everybody shoved him. I very nearly loved him. I said, hey, listen to me. Stay sane inside insanity. But he locked the door and threw away the key. And this is definitely Break the Cutie Part 2. Yes. Where Columbia not only has to watch her boyfriend get murdered, she has to eat him for dinner as well. Poor thing. Just to, if you think that Columbia was just having a normal night, hanging out with the Transylvanians, and then two normies came and crashed the party, and then everything went haywire, and now Eddie is dead. And now, ugh, I can't believe they're eating him for dinner. I told him to stay sane inside insanity. But what does she mean by that? I think that... Columbia was probably relatively accepting of his addiction Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and was like, I always told him, like, if you can't get clean, at least stay stay sane inside the insanity. Mm. Yeah, I like that. I like that better than it being like Frank's crazy mixed up world stay sane inside of all of this craziness because she's talking to eddie and it's like you know you know my my thing is like i think that they were together before they got to frank's castle Mm -hmm. and so i think that this was like an ongoing thing of like yeah you struggle but like you have to keep it together on on like on a deeper level I wanted to know what you thought about it because you're you do Columbia all the time, so it's just <laughs> and she's got a giant wallpaper of Eddie that we now get to see the full photo of. Yes, which now that I think Doctor Scott 
wheeled around Colombia and Magenta, it's not just the one photo of Eddie that he's seeing. He's like getting bombarded with Eddie memorabilia. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That no wonder as soon as he meets Frank, he's like, let's just cut to the chase because I know he's been here. Yeah. Like it, I saw your room dedicated to him. Can we uh, talk about that mutual connection we've got now? And then Columbia just, the camera pans with her as she throws herself upon her little love seat. It's like a day bed. Yeah. And collapses into tears. I was curious because she says, uh, lock the door and he was in a deep freeze. Do you think Eddie was okay so okay we just said that if rocky didn't know that they were aliens eddie may not have known that they were aliens but Mm -hmm. what if eddie did know they were aliens and did want to travel back to transylvania and was okay with getting like experimented on or whatever well like cryogenically frozen and maybe that's why when he like busts out of the deep freeze and hop and he does hop is because he thinks that's his like grand entrance to the new planet that he's like a visitor <laughs> on um i do like that idea yeah because he's also not he doesn't care about frank and and riff and magenta during hop like it makes me wonder if he knew why he was going into the freezer and he like when he takes off his helmet he looks around and it looks the same. Oh, we oh the laboratory didn't change when they unfroze me. <laughs> it looks just like Earth. Like maybe Eddie thought that they were already on Transylvania. Yeah, maybe. So recently, Nell, Barry, and Pat mm-hmm. did a live stream Q and A for GalaxyCon, which. Oh my gosh, to moderate one of those would be really cool. But they're so funny because they just, the years of banter between them, they just look at each other and they go, oh, shut up. (laughs) Like they're old birds just going at it. And Nell made a comment that, if Columbia hadn't died at the end of the movie, that she would have had children by Eddie because she was already pregnant during the events of the film. Hmm. Hmm. Hmm is right because I like that that's why she's so emotional and she's like experiencing like early pregnancy hormones and is like, and that's why she gets the chutzpah to confront Frank. Yeah. Is she's, like, got pregnancy hormones juicing through her, her veins. Yeah. And also it makes it even cuter that in the remake... Um, yes! Yeah! <laughs> she was actually pregnant. Yeah, Annalie Ashford. <laughs> yeah, Annalie Ashford was literally actually pregnant while she was Columbia. Interesting. No. <laughs> Very interesting. They also were just, like, so funny on that that live re- recap. I, They talked so beautifully about their parents. Aww. Each of them were, like, uh, Nell was, like, I, uh, she said that her parents are so well-read 
and intelligent and funny and good at holding conversations and they always pushed or they never pushed her they never told her like go do theater never do it if it makes you happy we'll push you when it makes you happy but like and then pat was saying that her parents always pushed her into theater because she loved it and she wouldn't do anything but it and only wanted to be on stage and then i think barry was like oh what are but are you like one of those actors that like it's like autopilot like you walk on stage and you're just like going by muscle memory and she straight up was just like no i remember every minute Hmm. and it's like fuck i love these people they're They're, so cute love them um anyway we right to left swipe (laughs) back into the dining room where dr scott continues but he must have been drawn into something making him warn me in a note which reads and he pulls a note out of his right breast pocket what's it say what's it say and frank and magenta lean in because they have like a little bit at stake with this Mm -hmm. but rocky and brad and janet all crowd around dr scott what do they have at stake here they don't even know yeah they're just like gossip what i need to know and dr scott pulls out and opens a note which looks like it has been written by a child in this note keeps me up at night because it's the one thing after so many times of watching that i cannot find any logic to it's like where did the note come from how did dr scott get this note he did he get it earlier in the evening and now he's just deciding to go investigate or did he just receive this note and he's immediately urgently investigating but if that's the case like how did he get this note okay but before we get into all that we gotta read the note eddie in a voiceover comes on he says i'm out of my head oh hurry or i may be dead they mustn't carry out their evil deeds. Yeah, how? Like, he's like Goofy. <laughs> he does a Goofy yowl. And it's signed, Love, Eddie. Brad and Janet guiltily glance at each other because they know Did his fate. Yes. There's, <laughs> oh shit, he warned, he knew it was coming. He premonitioned his own death. And... I just don't, okay, the only thing I can think of, what I, I keep holding on to is we see Rocky leave the, the castle. Mm-hmm. Is it, I'm just thinking if it's possible that Rocky maybe found a note lying somewhere in the lab and then it's like it triggered the thing in his half Eddie brain that was like, oh, I needed to get this to Dr. Scott. I need to get out of here. Or what if, because it does look like it was written by a toddler, what if Rocky Mm -hmm. wrote it? Okay. Okay. Because he thinks his name is Eddie. Because he thinks he's still Eddie. Okay. Yes. And he says that he's out of his head, which literally Literally, at that point. Literally, he's out of his head. Yeah, he is. And 
Okay, but what about the other possibility that Dr. Scott forged this note? Do you think that's a possibility at all? I think it could be um, a possibility, like um, kind of an excuse to get in to the building. Mm -hmm. But my interpretation of the note was always that Eddie had gone out to run some deliveries, Mm -hmm. and he was like, See you, baby. I gotta go work to Columbia, right? Right. And so he's gone. And while he's out, he drops that note off at his uncle's. And he, when he gets back, he gets intercepted by, like, Riff, Magenta, and Frank. Mm -hmm, They put mm -hmm. him in the deep freeze before anybody else knows he's there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that was, like, the day before Brad and Janet got there. Okay. So he's only been in the deep freeze for like maybe a day in my in my head. Like he just got put in the deep freeze. Well, what do you think are the evil deeds that he's referencing to? Is he talking about Brad and Janet? Him bringing in He's talking about a new experiment. I think him I think he's talking about Frank bringing in other people to experiment on. Okay, because I always thought it was like what Brad and Jan- Janet think it is, which is Eddie being afraid that he's going to get murdered by these people. But it's also so much worse than Eddie even anticipates in his notes. Because, like, what is Frank's greater mission on Earth? If it is to impregnate a human female, what... Um, just... Just what? <laughs> Riff and Magenta turn to look at Frank like, this is interesting. What are you going to do about this, huh? This is messy now. <laughs> Brad and Janet wince in pain and continue to look at each other, then continue to sing to each other. When Eddie said he didn't like his teddy, you knew he was a no good kid. We keep getting these these frames of Riff just, like, snapping along with the with the bop. Because if we've learned anything about Riff, it's that he loves chaos. He <laughs> loves when things do not go according to plan. He, like, thrives on it. He's like, oh, my God, Frank is pissed right now. I love this. Uh-huh. And they also, Transylvanians love music. Yes. And you can see Frank, it's paining him to not be able to sing along like he really wants to sing along and he's kind of doing the like uh, 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 i'm just gonna do like a little bit of dancing um but i'm not gonna i'm not gonna let on that i'm actually enjoying this number uh dr scott continues and when he threatened your life with a switchblade knife what a guy makes you cry and i did who is this man, Katie? <laughs> Tell me about Jonathan Adams. I mean, he's kind of a man of mystery. I didn't uh-huh. I wasn't able to find a ton of information on him partly because maybe he just didn't do a lot of wild and crazy things, but also because there's another guy named Jonathan Adams that's an active actor. Yeah, currently. So it was kind of a bummer, but I did find out that he was age 43 at the time of filming, which totally blew my mind. He was only 43 years old. He looks he looks good, but also 
he plays older. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he attended two different art colleges and not for acting, which is what I assumed. Mm-hmm. He was actually trained as an artist and was known for his surrealist cartoons and his collages. That's so cool. His oh last like art show before he kind of threw the towel in was called, I think it was called Jonathan Adams in Wonderland. And it was like a bunch of collages and stuff of uh-huh. just kind of surreal art. I wasn't able to find any any pictures of his art, though, which is such a bummer. So if anybody has any Jonathan Adams artwork, please send it to us, like pictures or whatever. Mm-hmm. Please send it to us. We'd love to see it. He began acting. He, he Did he continue to do his cartoon work after he started acting? Not that I know of. It seemed like he just kind of gave up on art once he started acting. Because he found some good success. Mm-hmm. Some, like, pretty good success as an actor. He's obviously best known to us, for sure, and to a lot of people, as the uh, narrator in the original 1973 London production of the Rocky Horror Show. Um, and then when they were casting for the film, was it that they knew they wanted Charles Gray for the narrator before they became, before it molded into the criminologist? I think so. Because then Eddie is usually a double casting for Dr. Scott. Dr. Scott. So it's almost like they were like, we need, we're not going to double cast Meatloaf. We know... We need an, uh, a man who's familiar with the with this. I also is... think that in the stage show, the narrator isn't as straight as mm-hmm. Krim is. Mm-hmm. And they knew Jonathan Adams was a funny guy. But so they he wanted... plays the straight man perfectly. Yeah. Yes. But I think they wanted to give him a, something that was like a little more fun. Whereas Krim is just very much like straight he plays it straight the entire time but not like in a funny way like krim is just facts 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 Mm -hmm. but dr scott he's the straight guy or is it facts (laughs) (laughs) but dr scott he's the straight man but he's he's funny he is so funny and i love thinking that all of the knowledge he had performing as the narrator for many many performances Mm -hmm. and like understanding the storyline to rocky horror so much it's interesting what that brings to him as dr scott and with all of the deeper hidden possible interpretations you can take with his character it's just so rich because clearly he loves the material and then brought a lot to his character he also appeared in a ton of British theater, TV, and film. He was in The Rivals of Sherlock Holmes, Jesus of Nazareth, Adventures of a Private Eye, the Invisible Man TV miniseries, uh, The Ad- Adventures of Sherlock Holmes in 85, Star Cops in 87, and a ton of others. He was just, like, he did a bunch of, like, smaller roles in TV stuff, right? Because those are only, like, 
kind of the larger titles that he was in, but he was in like a ton of TV shows, like a ton of TV shows for like two, three episode runs. And like, decades, right? He did like, he was involved in TV until he passed away, right? Yeah, I mean, he was really active until the mid to late 90s. Mm-hmm. And he passed away in 05 after suffering a stroke, but he was very, very active up until pretty close to when he passed. Well, rest in peace, Jonathan Adams. I love your performance as Dr. Scott truly. I think it's... I have the most questions about Dr. Scott as a character because he's a human. So, like, anything... Like, I have bigger, greater questions about Krim and who he is, but ultimately you can be like, He's an alien. He's an alien. <laughs> we can stop logicking his uh, motivations if we're like, oh, he's a Transylvanian and he doesn't have the same reasoning skills as a human. But but Doctor Scott, it's so open ended. Uh huh. A rival scientist. Okay, but I need more information than that. Yes, and I would love to see what happens to Dr. Scott because he's left behind at the end. We know he's alive, he's alive and he's not in shock treatment. Or is he? Or is he? I don't know. He could be, or he could be coming back for, uh, the eventual trilogy that I want to be written (laughs) because I think he, the, I think it's got to be that he's, like, the greater villain, you know? Like, the evil is what's, like, here and what's in your control and what, like, what's evil is that humans can be evil to each other, you know? We found evilness along the way. <laughs> the lesson at the end of our journey was that evil was with us the whole time. <laughs> um... <laughs> And Dr. Scott pulls a teddy bear out of thin air. I don't know if he had it under his blanket. It was under his blanket for sure. Like he just was waiting for the time to just pull out a teddy bear for the moment to be right. Everybody continues singing. When Eddie said he didn't like his teddy, you knew he was no good kid. But when he threatened your life with a switchblade knife, and at that point, Dr. Scott undoes a switchblade from the back of a teddy bear was he concealing the weapon the whole time or did he because he kind of looks surprised that it comes out of the teddy bear maybe he found it in there like he was Mm. holding the teddy bear and then he like felt something in it and was like pulled it out okay because i also like the idea that he concealed a weapon to possibly attack frankenfurter you know? Maybe. Like, they might search me down. I can't be packing. But if I have a teddy bear that has a carefully concealed sharp that I can <laughs> unsheathe. Now we get the pace of the song significantly slowed. Mm-hmm. Frank says, what a guy. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Makes you cry. 
hey, hey, hey. Und I did. And Frank has had enough. He takes that as his opportunity to stand. Riff and Magenta know a reveal is coming and she starts to like giggle about it, but he shushes her. Like, don't ruin the surprise. It's just about to happen. And Frank reaches forward, seizing the tablecloth and suddenly pulls it away in one swift motion, (laughs) revealing a giant glass coffin containing the decomposed remains of Eddie. (gasps) And this is accompanied with a total shift in music. Face melting. (laughs) That guitar riff. Like, you're like... And it quick zooms into Eddie's remains. His name was Robert Paulson. His His name name was was Robert Paulson. Paulson. His His name name was Robert Paulson. And he's got like the leopard lapel, like the facing on still. But so that way we identify and we know. Oh yeah, that's the guy we saw earlier. (laughs) And the fun fact that everyone already knows. I love it though. I love it. (laughs) None of the actors knew that the dead body was going to be under the tablecloth. So when Tim pulled it away. Their, like, shocked reactions are genuinely how they were feeling in that moment. Yes, I love it. (laughs) I love it because it is a good reaction. And I don't know then if Susan was directed to run to Rocky. See, I think that what it was originally supposed to be was Frank ripping the tablecloth off and, like, shattering everything to the floor because he's so pissed. Yep. Yep. So Janet's, like, scared that Frank's going to, like, jump over the table and attack her, so she runs to Rocky. But she ends up getting closer to Frank by going over to Rocky. Like, she could retreat with Brad to, like, the corner of the room. They could run run in the opposite direction of Frank in that way. She needs a muscle man to defend her. I think Brad is just out of the picture for her. She's just, like... He's not even a consideration for a mate for her anymore. (laughs) And that's why she runs to Rocky for support in this moment. Yeah. And she's also, like, still feeling so betrayed by Brad. Like, Mm -hmm. he hasn't done anything to make it better. Everything's happening so fast. (laughs) Janet screams. And with that, so ends our segment. Total cliffhanger on this one, guys. Sorry. I love it. And be sure to catch us next time. Until then, you can follow us on our Instagram at Time Warp Radio. You can find us on Facebook, Time Warp Radio Podcast. Feel free to send us an email with any questions or conspiracy theories you know answers to any of the questions we had today because boy we had a lot of them yes this was such a confusing segment for us all of the wild speculation has really gotten to our heads yeah we need we need to like uh take a defoiling (laughs) (laughs) can they find our blog oh we have a blog at 
timewarpradio.blogspot.com with a bunch of fun videos and costume links and shadowcast photos and twitter we have a twitter we keep forgetting about the twitter (laughs) we're on twitter at time warp rad pod and we love you guys and don't forget on On wednesdays Wednesdays, we we watch Rocky. rocky bye bye please don't forget to rate review and subscribe it really helps us out and we appreciate all your feedback we'll see you next time Thank you.